Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Podcast, a product of Michigan State University. This month and semester, we are doing a series with individuals who are recipients of the Outstanding Supervisor Award. And today, in my office at 116 Linton Hall on the campus in East Lansing, I have Sherm Garnett, who was the winner of the Outstanding Supervisor Award in 2016. Sherm, welcome to the Work Life Office podcast. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. Have you been on a podcast before, I guess? Is it yeah, um, I've been interviewed before I, on, on radio and stuff. I'm not sure I've been on a podcast. Though. Well, this one is in its origins, so it could either be a very low listener uh, <laughs> group, or it could be world famous by the time we launch this. Yeah. So people might be asking for your autograph in a month or two. But. Well, if you have more famous people on, maybe <laughs> they'll listen to me too. So good. Well, that's why I asked you because mm-hmm. you know something about outstanding supervision. And the guests on this podcast have ranged from academic units, colleges, uh, to environmental services, uh, residential hospitality, and uh, public safety. We're really uh, covering a wide variety of uh, places and people through this uh, interview series. You come to us with an extensive background uh, that could take up an entire podcast, but you are now the uh, dean of James Madison College, and you are a professor. Just judging by your PhD, I'm going to assume that you are a professor of some type of language and literature. Can you go into a little bit about what you do here at Michigan State? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I did get my PhD uh, from that other school down the road. Um, <laughs> I, I used to work there, and I funneled money <laughs> from there to Michigan State sports. <laughs> uh, uh, good. I enjoyed my time there. Um, but I did get it, uh, my PhD in um, Russian literature, but that kind of opened up because I was still interested in politics, a chance to go to the government, which I did for um, 11 years, and then I was at a think tank for four or five, um, basically doing national security stuff, arms control, and then um, as it related to the former Soviet Union, and especially when the Soviet Union collapsed, I did a lot of stuff on that, um, written some things on that. So at Madison now, as a dean, I don't get to teach quite as much, but I kind of teach a couple of different things. I would teach either something about Russia or literature, and it doesn't have to be Russian. It, it just I, I like teaching novels that have sort of political settings, and so because ours is a public policy political college, so there's a bunch of great novels, Russian and otherwise, that depict political and socially confusing situations and sure. so and and it is a way of speculating on on uh, it's like a sociology text or a any kind of text this is through artistic images talking about politics well you know i appreciate sociology text because that's what i studied here at michigan state and it was great for me to come back and finally get my terminal degree from msu being from this area. So you've been all over the country and internationally in your work, but now you're here at Michigan State and you're bringing some of that international substance to your uh, students at James Madison College. But are you from this area? And what sort of, uh, you know, if someone's from this area, I always think Midwestern values. (laughs) And then it maybe aligns with Michigan State and what our identity is. So are you from this area? And do you have a set of Midwestern values or otherwise? Well, 
Yeah, I actually grew up in Owasso, Michigan, about 38 miles or so from here. Um, then I went on to Yale, and then um, after after graduating from Michigan State, I went on to Yale for a master's and then uh, Michigan for a Ph.D. But, yeah, I think there is a kind of aspect of the Midwest where we don't toot our own horn all the time. And But I, I like New Yorkers. I like people from California. I don't think, you know, they're out to get me or anything. I think people are, are people. Um in some respects, but I do think there's a there's a, a kind of just do your job sort of quality here that that I like, and I um, see it all the time of people trying to go out of their way. It, it's not that it won't happen elsewhere, but I do think that that's something my mom taught me, and I I think a lot of our students are very Midwestern in that sense, and they come and they do their assignments and everything, and you tend not to they don't announce on the first day that they're going to get a four point they they, <laughs> they just work for it so yeah i mean i think that's a there is something about the region but i wouldn't make us like the center of the universe either sure right I, i'm interested to hear uh maybe offline about your background in owasso because my family is from henderson oh yeah that's a that was in our school district and that's how we got our snow days is the day the buses couldn't come in from Henderson and from the rural areas so we we appreciated Henderson very much right and Jamie <laughs> Jamie Hutchison and I were just talking about snow days and how we have backup dependent care offers work life <laughs> office small plug there um, now we're going to kind of segue into supervision now right. and I'm, I think it's a really appropriate segue because being from this area myself I know that a lot of staff members are from the area. And then you mentioned students are both local, but then we have national and international draw. A lot of faculty, national and also international draw. So as a supervisor and as somebody who manages people, uh, how can you really successfully uh, supervise a diverse set of individuals who some grew up in this area and have never left? They're from Owasso, they still live there. Others just came in off a flight from New York City. Others uh, just came off a flight from uh, Asia or Russia. Right. And um, now here we are with a diverse set of individuals, some who have experienced quite a lot, and some who uh, are from this area and have never left, both with their set of values. How do you get great outcomes from that diverse set of people? Well, first, I'm lucky to work at a place um, that has had a history of great outcomes. So we're we're a demanding place and we've been great about getting good students who've gone on to do great things um we've had a history of great faculty i guess from new york city and from africa and just all sorts of places so um but i think i would say the same about the people we get um from local area that there's something about the place it's a little it's a community it's a place where we, you know, go to somebody's house for the holidays, and um, they like our students. Um, so people have tended to stay. We do have uh, good losses uh, from the fac- from the any from the faculty or the staff that they get a better job, and that's one of the ways I think you're good to people is you don't accuse them when they get a better offer or something to move ahead. You don't say, "Well, you're leaving me," or "You're leaving the college." Um, I also think you got to think about us as a community and that there are different jobs to do um, and everybody has to have a certain amount of respect and dignity and 
because um, you know we couldn't do this without a set of advisors or the people who do the programming or do the setup between our students and employers and things like that and faculty contribute to all those things in some ways but that's not their primary job and and so uh, I think they come to appreciate people and, and and people who set up the rooms when we have special guests or make the hotel reservations for searches it just I mean there are people that don't understand or respect that and you have to kind of deal with that but in the main I think uh, we're lucky to be where we are and, and who we have and therefore I think there is a certain set of expectations that have already been set and you try to continue those and you try to make sure everybody is respected for their job. And where do the employees become aware of those expectations and how do they normalize that behavior? Because uh, there there could be a, a set of people that come in and they are already, their mindset is already to respect everyone on their team. And then there are some people who that might not be their, the way that they operate. And those could be how they come to Michigan State. On the other hand, you could have a uh, hundred individuals come to Michigan State with a diverse set of perspectives, and at, after the set of months or years, then they're all on board with how we operate at Michigan State, and that's to respect everybody that we work with. So is it just magic getting the people that already believe that uh, to begin <laughs> with, or is there some way that we can kind of shape and normalize uh, that mindset where everybody on the team that contributes is equally valued? That's a Good question. I think there's at least two answers. One, hiring's really important. So you want to have a process where you got a sense of the person and whether they fit. We've had to replace uh, someone who was 30-some years at MSU and 20-some at Madison. And we had that kind of search, and there were a number of good candidates. But there was one, not from the area, but from Montana, um, which I think is an extended Midwestern place in some ways, <laughs> although it's also the West. But she just had this people-friendly, uh, get along with everybody, but also a sense of accomplishment and, 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 and contribution. So, yeah, hiring is really important. But the other thing is it, it can't wholly grow. You You hope it grows out of the community and there's a lot of reinforcement. But you also have to have, you know, staff meetings and staff engagement and things that so they know they're respected by the dean by the associate dean um, inevitably there are days where a faculty member comes in late and has to get to class and maybe they're not as nice in that encounter and you uh, I don't police all that but I also think you do try if you hear about it to go and uh, talk to um you know, the person who may feel like they've been uh, shortchanged. And then if it's a, if there's a pattern of violations, then you actually have to go do something. And that's short of like violations in the big sense of somebody abusing someone in a, in a way that would cause, you know, some sort of grievance or, a, or a, you know, sort of policy action. You just, you want to catch it so that people are civil to one another. And I do think you hire enough people that are civil and, they have their door open. When the faculty needs something, they realize that person delivers. There's been a tendency of most faculty to respond to that really well. Uh, I do think our small size means you can't just be anonymous. So 
there is a kind of interaction, even where it's not as common because someone doesn't teach as often or they're in the other side of the building, but we're small. We have um, 60-some employees and you know 40-some faculty, and they, everybody knows one another, and so it's harder to be just anonymous or like you, like I think it'd be a bigger challenge at a bigger college where you have to do that at the unit level and in, and then the the dean above is in, in some sense distant um and and has to do more symbolic things like you're part of our community and enforce the rules but I I, I really do know a lot of students I know all of my staff really well and I know the faculty and so um we're able to kind of have a, a kind of something beyond just a work relationship. It It isn't like we're always at one another's house watching football games right. or something, but you really do know when people have health issues or, um, you know, Joy's sons and daughters getting married and that kind of stuff. And I think that really helps. Now let me springboard off that. I got I wrote down several notes, so there's a couple of different ways I'd like to go. But right off of this, talking about um, somebody who uh, might have an ill child or some circumstance in their personal life that has crept into their work life and their performance, and this is very common, and we like to support individuals in those predicaments. But at the same time, we you know they don't come to work every day at 9 a.m. Uh, when something's up outside and, and just sort of broadcast it to the office that, hey, I'm dealing with a life crisis right now and I'm going to be agitated for a couple of days. Some some individuals bottle that up, you know, and they don't seek to support that might be useful to them. So how do you create an environment in your college uh, where individuals feel comfortable and safe uh, coming to you and saying, look, I'm caring for my father-in-law right now and I'm going to need maybe some flexibility with my work schedule, and they don't feel like they're going to get a lot of blowback off of that. How do you create an environment where individuals can both um, ask for support and receive support and resources, and they're not in fear of missing a day of work? Well, I do think, again, another great question. I do think there's a there's a difference. I think faculty feel immediately like they can come to me um, and I do, but I do think there are people, maybe people not tenured, maybe people who are visiting faculty, maybe people on the staff that might try to tough out a couple of days. I mean, I think you're held by MSU's policies of being, um, you know, like you can get a babysitter and there's a whole set of things and, or even coming to this office and do, um, so we're not a, icy unfriendly place to begin with and madison i've tried to we tried to have a community so people have come to me and and talked to me about those things they've also talked to other people like the assistant dean the associate dean the budget director i mean just someone across the hall that works and then you get to know that and to me this is really simple unless you've got an employee that is really unable to perform and and uh or proves to be incompetent in some way, and then you have to deal with that. But if you really have one of these situations where you have a good employee um, who's got a problem, I always step back, and instead of thinking about the problem this is going to cause me or the college, I also think, you know, we're in this for multiple years. Like with a faculty member, I always say, 
we've hired you for 40 years. I can't tell you how many faculty that I've hired, younger women, who often within the first two years are having a child. Mm-hmm. So you can say, well, we just hired someone. That's a that's a, like we're not getting a semester or something. No, I mean we're we're in it for forty years, and so I'm glad they're having a child. Yes, it c- could cause some annoyance because you're trying to figure out how to substitute for their classes, but they didn't do that to make my day terrible. <laughs> they, they, it's part of being a human being, and so you certainly want to have you certainly want to have employees that have normal lives. Like, you can't have a sign out, we don't want you to have children, we don't want you to have sick parents, we don't want you to get sick. Um, so, and we've helped people, you know, um, like if they've had an excessive amount of doctor visits or something for a period, we've certainly done some comp time and they've made it up and stuff like that. You do have a problem where faculty have a lot more flexibility and some employees are hourly or, mm-hmm. but I try to, just smooth that because I don't want someone to say they can't have a sick child because they're like an hourly thing. Um, also, in this day and age, you can work at home. If it's sickness, if it's their sickness, I want them to deal with that and use their sick leave. And we could, we've had good luck drawing temporary employees from from MSU um, or just having people, if it's a week or 10 days or a month, um, with uh, employees having children um you know we've set it up brought in somebody to pick up their work they come back on a like a third of a day half day it's just it's you know we're this isn't like a surgery that 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 you can't well the surgeon's not in i'm gonna do the surgery (laughs) um i think it's a human place where um, you're trying to make people feel like uh, they're welcome at any time. Like I said, you you could have people abuse that, which we've luckily haven't had. You could also have people that have serious problems, and then we've tried to um, get more complete transitions. You know, my secretary for years she was she was even here in the '70s when I was a student. She had a year-long health problem, um, and we worked around that. She had plenty of sick leave. She had was put on a, a kind of disability for a while, came back, but she also then had serious health problems and, and, and passed away. But we were, she had done so much for us over the years that I was going to do anything. I mean, I, I like we had good luck with some temporary people, but I wanted her to come back if she could. I just think that's what you kind of owe employees that have done the work for you. Um, and you give new employees the benefit of the doubt. You don't want someone who's worried about tenure to think that they can't have a baby or they can't take leave or they're, or anybody else. If this person I talked to from Montana had come and said, well, I, you know, my daughter's having problems with her pregnancy, I need to take six weeks off immediately, we would have worked that out um, because we wanted somebody of her quality to be with us. So... I just think, you know, it's a human institution and a community, and at least you try. And, yeah, there are rules and there are violations of rules, and you have to deal with that. But we've been lucky by this method and by realizing that people are going to be here a long time to not, oh, you're disrupting the 
flow or something. And we've had people that have had problems just before semester starts, and that's really very inconvenient. But it's also like I don't think they planned this. Right. Yeah. So it isn't their problem. It's m my problem and my staff's problem to figure out, do we need to hire somebody? Do we need to go do this? Or people haven't gotten visas. Yeah. So you can't let them teach. You know? So you, okay, this is going to be delayed. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. Uh, yeah. right. It isn't their fault. I mean, I think you, you try to create a situation where the, the workplace supports the home place, I think. You know, it reminds me of some interactions with students I've had in the past. I've been a teacher at the university, um, several universities, for a long time. And the students, they have this assumption that we're adversaries, the professor and the student. And they, and they think, oh, um, I can't make it to class this day. Are you going to dock me points? And I say, no, if you're not going to make it to class, you know, we're going to work together to get you the education that you came here for. And uh, that's one. And two, I trust that you're not lying to me. The students will always say, do I need a doctor's note, this or that? I said, no, I don't need a doctor's note. I trust that you're telling me the truth if you're ill, that we don't need some type yep. of you know, certificate that says so. And so I'd like to ask you about uh, the trust factor. And also I'm, gonna, I'm going to link it to this theme that I keep hearing from you, which is, that you believe that your employees are going to hopefully be with you for the long term, and that's your perspective. You want folks with you for the long term. So if I was a new employee and I had never met you except for the interview process, and here it is my first week, and you say, I want you to be with us for 30 more years, there could be a skepticism and a cynicism that I have. So maybe you don't want to stay for 30 <laughs> years. So I would, I would modify that slightly, is that I also want, people to go, if I lose a faculty member to another institution or if, you know, one of my staff, because we're a small college and there are some better opportunities elsewhere, or they've, they've learned at our college uh, and then they go to a bigger college, mm -hmm. either here or somewhere else, that's also a win yeah. to me. So, um, and I think, yeah, it, it can look a little bit like, uh, like insincerity if you don't, sort of live it so um like i didn't campaign to be supervisor of the year I, <laughs> I i had people nominate me and everything and like whether i deserve it or not i do think we have a, a kind of an environment where on key human things like problem pregnancies or leaves or sick parents and that kind of stuff we've just been really good i mean we've been able to do that um like i say we're not um we're not a surgery operation, so uh, like like uh, you can substitute people in, um, and so I think, and I don't try to prove it the first week. I mean, they're <laughs> going to hear a bunch of things. I mean, the other thing that that I try to do is hire people. I'm not a micromanager. I don't. I do, I think that is, to me, I wouldn't want to be micromanaged. So I think it would be depressing to somebody who's doing the, you know, the. The budget, which I'm not a numbers guy, so that's easy to leave my hands off of. But somebody who's organizing events or doing admissions, I mean, we don't do our own admissions, but we do our own recruiting and trying to retain people. Um, I want that person to, like, I, I always tell somebody, okay, I want you to take six or eight weeks and then come back and tell me how you want to do this job. I mean, there's certain things that are required. You can't say I'm not going to go recruit students, but 
you don't believe in these events or you don't. I want them to own it. And then I want, uh, and by the way, I also think it's really important if you get a person like that, that if they make a mistake, it's a college mistake. It's not, like if somebody makes a mistake every day or every week, I think, again, you got to do something different. But I, I've hired really good people and sometimes, you know, the wrong letters have gone out or something. And I just don't think you just go nuts about that. You own up to your mistakes. If it's something that confuses the students, you send out a clarifying letter or somebody got the wrong of it. I mean, that's I've learned from my assistant dean who does the student stuff and has 800 appointments a year. I mean, he really tries to fix everything. I mean, that's fixable. I mean, some people put it. But if it's, you know, and I think that's what we're about students. We're about being a place that serves students. So, you know, I, I just think in a way you have to sort of live it for them and you have to show that, you know, we've had all sorts of things happen to faculty families that you've said, you know, okay. And often, for example, in a very serious situation, one of my faculty members it was coming up for a semester and they offered to just... Like they needed the time off, but they teach one of their courses, not two. So they they made a sacrifice because I could give. I said, you know, I can give you this, and we just have to go get help. So again, you you kind of create an atmosphere that people, because of the students, want to contribute to, and then you just support those kind of people. Yeah, that's the shared purpose. You know, it it seems that if if we are all on board for the same reasons and and the reasons are to serve the students and educate students, if we're all there for a shared purpose that seems to um, contribute to the cohesion of the members of the group. And I also heard you say about um, sort of repeating and living, living or walking the walk and, you know, living what you say you're going to do and doing what you say you're going to do. And that when people see you doing what you say you're going to do over and over and repeating it, then they understand that's the type of individual that you are and the type of team and the type of expectations. Uh, I'm also a big believer in fixing the system. So like when mistakes happen, there's probably a kink on the assembly line that needs to be worked out. And so I I can appreciate uh, you saying that. Now, um, of course, you know, we need to create an environment where employees feel comfortable admitting to when mistakes happen. um, And hopefully they align with your perspective that uh, the mistake could be a system mistake as opposed to an individual mistake. Um, and so hopefully everyone can adopt that mindset on your team. Uh, now I'm going to shift into um, individual uh, satisfaction. And if you have a diverse set of team members, if everybody's on board uh, and they see great outcomes from the college and all the students are having you know, wonderful future success and everyone's graduating and things are going well, is, is there any way for the individual to internalize the success themselves or do they just um, see the success of the unit and appreciate that? And so I'll lead you into um, what I heard you saying before uh, this um, interview uh, we were having a discussion about how you have uh, some type of appreciation gala or ball. And so, um, I, again, on one hand, you can see a real great success, successful outcomes from the unit and internalize those as, hey, I contributed to that success. On the other hand, some individuals want a pat on the back and a certificate that says, <laughs> you know, Joe Blow, you did great today. And those are both valid, you know. And so how do you identify uh, when somebody um, 
needs a little bit of appreciation, deserves appreciation? Uh, how do you distribute the appreciation? And how does that all work in the James Madison College? Another good set of questions. Um, well, the students are the ones, the student senate are the ones that do this kind of appreciation thing. And it's only like one person a year, so it can't be used. Um, and they get to make the decision. And we yeah. support it. Um, you know, we try, especially since it's a charity ball, so the person who's uh, chosen gets to pick a charity, and then any proceeds that are left go to, like, the food bank. Or, and you say the student nominates. and Well, it's also, it, it's run by the student senate, so it's a student thing. Um, and I do think you have a problem here at Michigan State in some respects, because we have nominated in people, and some have won uh, awards for staff. But I do think... There's so many more opportunities to recognize faculty. The, the, the merit pay system and the markets and other things that I have in my tool bag are ways that you can um, reward. It's also easier to just give, like faculty have travel and research and you can give them, hey, thank you. Like we had a faculty member take over when our diversity coordinator um, got a better job and we were searching and one of our faculty members did this and I gave him, him extra research money. I don't have all the same tools at, at, at the level of staff. I mean, I, I've tried to indicate that um, I'm supporting them going to a conference or a learning situation and, and, and for staff that are more um, administrative uh, and really supportive of their interest in some sort of class on campus or some other thing. Um, I think you do try to, like at the at the holiday party and other things, you try uh, to acknowledge people. Um, I also think if there's a question or a problem, you try to deal with that too, because I think feeling a part of a unit success is fine unless they sense some people are skating because people do that at times. Um, that hasn't been a problem for a while, but there were there have been a couple of people that we've had to deal with in the early days. Um, or I've also gone and talked to people when I think they were getting tired of their job. We're a small place. This job isn't going to change. A certain really talented person wanted to do more international stuff and. I encouraged him to go look elsewhere because I thought, you've done really good work for me. He then got a really interesting job at another uh, Big Ten school. that It was at the graduate level, really focused on international. Um, and I don't know if he would move if we hadn't have uh, encouraged it. Um, so again, I think you're trying to do things, but you, I do think you don't have the same toolkit. You do try to, when it comes to human problems, you try to treat everyone the same. I mean, and that, that, that just because you're an administrative assistant or a APA union person versus a faculty, your pregnancy or your child or your sick parent is every bit as important as anybody else's. But I do think we have, like, we, you don't have the same abilities um, as the faculty structure to sort of manipulate salaries and stuff. So I do think you have to go out of your way to try to talk to people. And I do have, like, I think 
my assistant dean does a lot of that with with his direct reports. Uh, we're we're also small enough that people come and talk to me as well, and our, my associate dean. So, but it is there are different environments and different expectations, and and also different levels of leave. I mean, a faculty member for family situations has a whole set of things, and and a staff member has other things. So we try to be as friendly as possible. We try to, especially if they happen to have planned well in some of the pregnancies over the summer, you can be a little <laughs> looser, right? Yeah, yeah. In the end, again, you return to this sense of wanting them to want to stay here or that they leave you not out of disgust or unhappiness but because they got a better job. Um, I mean, not that we have a bad job, but you know what I mean, that you more responsibility, more pay, different challenge. I mean, you have an employee here that used to work for me. And yeah. She did a great job for us, and I, like, I've been happy to see her come over here and, and, and actually do more of what I think she was trained to do. And that, you know, that makes me feel good. I mean, I think that, that's, that's not a success uh, or a failure. That's not a loss. That's not a, you know. We ended up replacing her with someone who's also good, but you know, her leaving uh, was a loss. But on the other hand, it wasn't like I have to sit in my office and you know shoot myself or or lament or something. Because again, you'd like people to stay for the long term, especially faculty. But we've had a lot of experience of staff doing that. But I also think you have to get used to people. If you're hiring good people, you're going to have people move. <laughs> now, how do you know why people leave? Just the general idea of exit interviews and exit data is varied across Michigan State. It's a project we're working on right now with a couple of different uh, departments, units, individuals, uh, trying to figure out the best way to understand why people leave. So anecdotally, uh, we can sit down with the leader and say, you know, do you have high turnover? Yes, no. If you, if you have some, you know, reasonably high turnover, why are people leaving? And anecdotally, the leader can say, oh, it's because they're going on to, you know, better jobs. We just couldn't pay them enough or we just they just weren't getting enough out of this job. So they left for great reasons. But, you know, as a as an analyst, that just doesn't do it for me. So I want a little bit more substantive data and some more uh, some more clear information as to why people are leaving or why people are staying. Um, so in your college and in your unit, do you have any mechanisms in place to uh, track that data or uh, get, you know, accumulate that data? Do you have exit interview process set up? Uh, do your uh, staff feel comfortable talking with somebody about why they're leaving? I mean, it's, it sounds like uh, people do feel comfortable talking to you and your staff about why they're leaving, but what, what really uh, tangibly do you have set up in the college that can kind of get at those reasons why people leave? Well, I, I don't think we have a lot of formal structures, and I wouldn't be against that because we like all of those kind of structures are in place for students. So we do a survey of people who turned us down ultimately. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're going to interesting places. And um, we also do a survey of people that once they're here that transfer out or, or, or change. And so most of them tell you something, you know, sometimes it's as simple as, well, I really, I, I really didn't think about this. I'm not really as interested in politics, <laughs> right? And so people have gone to other things. Or, you know, they, they, they want to do business or something, right? So... 
because we're small, almost any, certainly any faculty, but also even any staff thing I've been involved with um, has ended up in my office. So they want, they either want to come and talk about it, they may want to stay and see if I can do a retention, which I normally try to do. Although I've also sat there with people like one of the faculty members uh, got an offer from Yale, and I said, I can go match the salary probably. But that's Yale. Now, do you want that or not? And like, and, and somebody got a fantastic offer from Arizona State that was just, I doubt if we could have matched the salary, and it was to launch a, a new um, um, director thing of... Yeah. Uh, uh, and it was really cool, and there was a lot of money involved in it. And like I said, so we have these kind of open discussions because I don't want anybody to leave, but I also don't want to, I don't want to kind of trap them. I certainly never try to guilt anyone, like oh, you should stay. And we've had a senior staff member who was getting her PhD, and I knew when she got it that, and also she was good at her job, so. She's probably going to get offers anyway, and so you kind of have an intuitive sense of that. So I talked to her in advance about what we could do, but also that she should think hard about, you know, that might be a moment to go. And again, I didn't really want her to go, but I think you just, I think when you have people that are that talented, uh, it's the same thing when I have to choose for the provost a set of people to reward with market funds, like they're... They stand out. But you also have to, if you think that they could be wooed by somebody else, you also want to stay in touch with them. Um, is there something impressive? You know, we're a special kind of place, and so if if people get tired of teaching undergraduates, we're not a great place for them. Um, if they're really on an upswing on scholarship and want to be in a more research department, not a mixed department like we are, you know, maybe they maybe that's better for them. I mean, because I'm not in a position for a faculty member to say, "Well, we're just going to put you on five years of research." We have a teaching mission, so in there, I'd like, and, and so I've lost some people to some really good places, um, and you know, we've tried to retain them and everything. But I think they made a decision that was good for their lives. So I think it doesn't start when they get a job offer. It also you try to figure out people like I, I know I have some staff members that are in their mid thirties and this is perfect for them. They're have young children when the, the kids are in school, that might be the time. I mean, uh, for them to go back into they, they come out of the state government or something, especially legislative stuff that has ungodly hours, they might go back and do that. So, um, so yeah, I like to have this view of people staying a long time, but also some people only stay a while, and they've been great too. I think having people, by the way, having people that have gone on to something not worse than you, but better than you, um, is a really good thing. It's 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 it shows you you've hired the right people that 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 also you're not a you're not a prison camp or a place where your career goes to die. Yeah. 
Well, we've covered we've covered quite a bit, and uh, one thing we haven't covered is your outstanding supervisor award <laughs> that you received. What was it? Twenty fifteen? Did I write that down right? I wrote it down oh, on my piece of paper. Twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen? Twenty sixteen. It was twenty sixteen. So you would have received that in October of twenty sixteen because October. Sixteenth uh, is Bosses Day, so this year we're going to give those out on in mid October, right? Uh, and uh, how many people, by the way, do, do you supervise? Like, if if somebody said, uh, "This is my boss," uh, Dean Garnett is my boss. Well, a lot of people, people would say that. So there are sixty. <laughs> like, I think because of a small college and the role of the dean, uh, as opposed to a large college, mm-hmm. um, I think there are, you know, all sixty would say that. But there are formal things that they'd start with the assistant dean maybe uh but i don't want to be very distant from any of my staff i mean if they have a problem so um i don't know they're like i would say all and the faculty are not really supervised by anybody right right? but but so there's 40 some of them and that that you you do the annual reviews and you um you have especially having done this for 20 years you have some knowledge of them um you're they're in your office about a potential research opportunity or applying for a grant or something like that. And even though there's another structure in the college to handle that in the beginning, they often want to come to talk to me. So I would say 60 people, but, um, you know, and, and, you know, direct report, I don't know. Uh, I do, I do 12 or 15, uh, of those, uh, forms, but I also do all 45 of the faculty. So, right. When you got the award, do you recall who nominated you? Did, did you have a chance to read those letters? I know many, many yeah, winners. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, my associate dean did. I mean, she is was having an enormous amount of difficulty at home with the spouse that um, was ill and eventually actually passed away. And I think, I mean, she's a really kind individual. And she's not the associate dean now. She's actually retired. But... Um, I think she appreciated me for that, but I also think the atmosphere was quite good, and I, I accepted it in the spirit that I think the whole the whole of the team was was pretty good. Um, it was really neat because it was a surprise, and yeah. they burst into my office. I still have the <laughs> I still have the banner, and then um, my colleagues who had been my associate and assistant deans, and and and, and some others. We went out and had a nice dinner at the Kellogg Center and uh so that was that was cool and it's you know I'm not someone that wins a lot of awards but I think if I had to pick one that that's pretty cool because it's also the case that there's a lot of uh mythology or reality that deans also cut budgets and right yeah. get angry with people and everything and I I try not to be I try to be very even tempered especially about I think it's not my job. Like if, I, if, if, if hiring people, like I wanted to just hire the things that I loved or liked the most, we'd have 27 people teaching Dostoevsky. <laughs> and so you can't do that. And you can't, when you're evaluating faculty, you can't just say, well, do I like this or not? Because a place that does public affairs brings a lot of different political actors, um, even even important issues of research that bore me or I just don't have the taste for. I have been blessed in my life that I've said at times, well, 
I'm not really interested in Latin America. And then, lo and behold, from 2008 to 2014, I was down there a lot, doing a lot of, including running one study abroad program to Cuba and stuff like that, and discovering, hey, I really like Latin America. So you can't, you know, you can't make those kinds of decisions. But I think it's, in my job, it's very important that you recognize, even if you wouldn't want to do that, or or maybe even have a friction with somebody that this isn't your kind of person. You just try to you, you try to treat them um, fairly. And my test, honestly, for faculty is like since it's a place where you run into students all the time. Do I hear students that talk about them the way I would have talked about my favorite professors? And yeah, like even someone like. You'd say, I would never take that person's class. It's not interesting to me. But then you have a bunch of really talented students saying, that was the best class I've ever been in. And that's what you want. And you, and I think it does take some sort of separation between um, your personality as a, like, I, I like Russian literature. I, I, I don't read Australian literature or I, or I don't read, I don't do numbers, right. that kind of stuff. Separation from that to realizing that you have to kind of deal with a bunch of people that have this diverse set of skills and interests and maybe even different politics or or, or a different or even a different temperament. And I think that's kind of the key too. Is that um, if I were to say the two keys for me would be that, which is an ability to do right by people that aren't immediately sympathetic, and then secondly to try to go through the what is a hierarchy at the place and and treat everybody's pregnancy or everybody's sick parent or somebody would like try to treat them as equally and fairly as possible because there would be no like and we were also located in a dorm and I don't supervise the people that cook the food and clean it and everything but the place would be terrible if they didn't exist yeah so Somehow this whole and, – and the lawns need to be mowed, and we, we happen to be on this campus that's so botanically rich. Somebody's got to, like – everything I plant dies. So <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. And, and, or somebody runs the art museum or somebody, you know, like, like Warden. All of those things are really, really cool. And so I guess I have a personality of sort of feeling like all those things kind of fit together in some way. Yeah, it's a real system. And it's like we were talking about uh, the function of the office. It's a system. If all the pieces aren't in place and operational, then it's just not going to produce the best outcomes. There'll be, you know, little kinks in the system and we won't get as great of a, an outcome as we do have here at Michigan State. And it's a place that I hold dear to my heart. And I yep. think, uh, you know, we are on the right track with individuals like yourself and numerous outstanding supervisors. No, there's, there are a lot of strong ones, and I think since we've gone through this period of really great difficulty mm-hmm. um, and and serious failures on our part as well, I think it's really important that we remind ourselves about what the what needs to happen, why what what happens from good leadership, and also just how we need to treat our employees. But then also, I think that there are so also are rules so when you find people that are outside that community or you know, I mean I think they actually really need to be dealt with and like I don't have a lot of thankfully in my world in my wonderful college I don't 
have too many stories like that, but there are a couple of them, and, and they had to be done. So I think those two things of trying to create this community in the way I've described, but also um, being attentive to people who are taking advantage of this. Because this is a place that, I mean, you're such so blessed to be here and to teach people or to be part of an operation that really is important to people in the prime of their lives or doing special research or medical work, all of that stuff. I mean, that's that's not coal mining. Right. Uh, and coal mining is a good thing. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm just saying, like, this is just a kind of community of people on the, on the rise doing cool things and everything. So to me, being grateful for that and also policing it is, uh, you know, as we've discovered the last couple of years, is really important. Yeah, it really is. Um, well, Sherm, we're about at the end of the battery life on the record. <laughs> <laughs> That's how to determine how long a podcast is. Yes. Yeah, because I get increasingly anxious as the battery life declines, and then uh, it's fine with me. Thank so you for inviting me to to for this and for doing this series. I'll I'll listen with not to my own, but to others with interest. <laughs> All right, fantastic. I'll share with you and everyone else. This has been another episode of the Work Life Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.